Welcome to TTM Cast One on One with Jeff Baker. Every Wednesday, we'll bring one on one interviews with hobby professionals, former athletes, authors, and collectors. Sponsored by Certified Sports Guarantee. Go to csgcards.com for sports card grading for the win. And by sportscollectorsdaily.com. If it happens in the hobby, you'll find it on sportscollectorsdaily.com. And sponsored by gemrate.com. The latest grading statistic from the four major grading companies is just a click away. Visit gemrate.com. It's free. And now, here's our host, Jeff Baker. Hello, everybody! It's Wednesday, April 12th, and it's time for your favorite show, TTM Cast One on One, where we talk to somebody in the hobby, a former athlete, somebody that's uh, really interesting. And this week, we have a really fun interview with Rick Dempsey, who, of course, was the 1983 World Series MVP with the Baltimore Orioles. My name is Jeff Baker. I'm talking to you from Boston, Massachusetts, and I'm joined by my friend and co-host from Dallas, Texas, the guy that's walking on eggshells this week. Of course, I'm talking about Drew Pelto. Hey, Drew. Hey, good to be here. What a crazy week, huh? Oh, man, this is, yeah. um, For anyone who doesn't know, I work with Panini, and uh, yeah, I'm sure if you read Sports Collectors Daily, you've seen uh, everything kind of hit the fan there last week in uh, product development. It's like the 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 ships are run the the mice are running off the sinking ship kind of right I don't know it's really strange I I've never seen anything like it where where so many people leave uh, mm-hmm. one company to to another and it's really early it's like it's like if we were on the Titanic and you saw the iceberg twenty miles away and you said you know what I better get off this ship because we're gonna hit an iceberg in in in, uh, in five years you know yeah. <laughs> It's, I mean, there's a lot of things going on there that I'm, I'm not really at liberty to talk about there, but Panini is going to be fine for a couple of years, at least. I mean, they've, they, they, they still own all the licenses for NBA and NFL for at least three more years. So I think it may have been a little bit premature on some of them to jump ship early, but uh, I mean, there's, there's a lot of things that Panini can still get in on, stay in on for a while after that. So am I worried? Yes. Am I like freaking out, panicking? No, not at all. You know what, Drew? This this might because new pe- new blood are coming into the the positions that are people have abandoned at, at Panini to, for fanatics. So new people are coming in. This might um, at, you know give more creativity and some new things that Panini can do because really they they've got nothing to lose, right? If they if they try something different or or they they try. Uh, to do something that that maybe people grab onto that maybe they can do it in, in other venues. I think this might, uh, from a, a collector's standpoint, maybe open up some different things that, that Panini was was kind of hesitant to try one way or other. And now that they're like, hey, what the hell? We got nothing to lose. Let's let's try this or let's try using these this type of paper. Or let's try using do, doing this type of photography or, I, you know, I don't know. There's, there's got to be new new technology out there that they don't have to invest a lot of money in that they can uh, maybe produce even better looking cards. What do you think? Absolutely. And there are always untapped markets out there. There may be leagues that are up and coming that need better representation on cards. There may be other areas we've never really thought about at all and trying to tap yeah. into those things. So ready. I mean, I'm going to say it first. I'm, I'm going to be the first yeah. to say that we're going to see pickleball cards. There will hey, be, I'd be down with that. 
There will be pickleball cards. I guarantee you that that, that is, it is such an up and coming sport. I know like 20 people that play pickleball. They're mm -hmm. on, it's on ESPN now. These, there's going to be pickleball cards soon. <laughs> hey, my wife's talking about wanting to try it. So yeah, I could definitely see that. But it'll, I think it'll, there's, just, there's a lot, there's a lot of places they can go with this. I mean, like I said, they still have the NBA and NFL locked up through 2026. They've got FIFA all the way through 2030. And what's happening in 2030, the World Cup is going to be here in the United States. That is a huge area for some growth and some expansion right in there. So is it, like I said, is it a concern? Yes. Am I panicking? Not at all. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see where it goes. I mean, you know, change is always good. And and uh, I think it gets people thinking, right? I, I think it gets creative juices going. And I think people start looking you know, this is this might open up different markets, as you say. And as as TTMers, we love different opportunities to to send out cards to diff, different type of sports, right? And you're you're the big yep. one. You like you like all these crazy sports, so that's yep. right up your alley. Uh, in terms of, of collecting, this week has been a weird one for me. I I've been sending out a lot of uh, TTM requests, and I have not gotten a TTM request in I think four or five days. Wow. I've been I've been shut out. I don't. I have no idea. What what happened? It's just a weird lull. We're like polar opposites on this. The weeks when you have a ton, I get nothing. The weeks when I have a ton, you get nothing. You're on the stretch of nothing. I just got three in yesterday. So I'm like, I don't know what's going on. Yeah, here, but I don't, I don't have any coming in today. So maybe you'll get like two or three today then. I bet I have 60 to 70 out in the last like two to three weeks. Yeah. And nothing. I, you know, I had a, I, I, the week that I went to Florida that I didn't send anything out. But I, but like the week before I sent a bunch out and then at like last week, I think I was sent out uh, like 60 maybe. And, and I just, uh, I have a lot out there, but I don't know. I'm getting worried. I think, I think all my TTR, all my TTR is like, I'm not sending a, t a, a, a signed card to this guy. He just, put, he puts it on, on sports collectors daily and then I get inundated. It's funny. Cause I, you know how in, um, in sports collectors.net and, and uh, sports card forum, they always have the successes. Every time I every time I send something out and I put it on Sports Collectors Daily, I see a bunch of returns from those guys. So I'm like, oh no, maybe I'm opening up a can of worms to these guys because yep. <laughs> yep. all my guys are all of a sudden becoming uh, successes left and right. You know. Well, it's something that Billy Sample said in the uh, Baseball TTM Autographs group on Facebook. He's a member in there, and somebody asked him, you know, like how many autograph requests do you get, and he said. You know, before about like 2015 or so, I get you know like maybe one one or two a week, maybe or I think it was like I think you said like it was like yeah three or four a week or something like that. He said now it's up to at least three or four a day, and sometimes double that. So the internet has caused a major explosion in TTM for for better or for worse. Yeah, you know what? I, I really appreciate these guys signing it, and we talked to Rick Dempsey today about that. And he he, uh, he was one of those guys that really didn't sign, right? And then all of a sudden, he's been signing a lot lately. And uh, uh, you know, we appreciate the guys that are signing, but it's it's just we're, sometimes we're our own worst enemy, right? If someone Absolutely. if we find out somebody signs, and all of a sudden his mailbox just gets flooded uh, with, with with requests, especially if he, he's a new guy. So if you are you know, you're a TTMer and you're sending out TTM requests, be kind, you know, I mean, be, be patient. Don't go crazy. Send out one or two requests. Don't go, uh, uh, don't send out a bunch of stuff and, and kill, kill the golden goose, so to speak. Uh, you know, we love, we all love this hobby and we, and to, we, to keep it going, we have to be patient and understand that these guys are doing us a favor by signing cards, right? They, they, not, not one of these guys has to sign a card. They don't have to. 
but they do. Just look at Rick Ruschel. I mean, he was a great signer for so long. And eventually he got tired of people sending him, you know, six cards every month, basically. You start seeing the same addresses over and over again. And for a couple of years there, he shut it down. I mean, he was, uh, if you sent him five bucks with a card, then yeah, he'd sign it for you there. But he quit, uh, he stopped signing free for entirely for quite a while. Now he's finally started back up again with it. So I'm hoping collectors have learned from that little time off that he took right in there and uh, are going to start limiting themselves and controlling themselves because self-control is massively needed in this hobby. It really is. Hey, how'd you do uh, with him in person? I know you went to the yeah. the Royals and Rangers game, got a couple of cool ones. Uh, how how you been doing in person? Uh, pretty good. That was my first one since I went to that previous uh, Rangers Royals game there at uh, what was it, the end of March is when I went to that first one. But they came through again and uh, I was planning on going to this game because uh, I needed Bobby Witt Jr. on his short print for the uh, 21 Heritage set. So I go and I buy that card off eBay. It said it was supposed to be delivered last Monday, and it never showed up at all. I put in, I even oh, put no. in a, I even put in a theft of mail report because it was marked as being delivered on there, and was not in my mailbox at all. It never got to me. There were what four items that were supposed to be in the mail that day that never came at all. So, um, I mean, if you mark something down as being delivered and it's not there, I consider that theft of mail. So I put in a theft report with the USPS and haven't heard anything back yet, but. Didn't get that one in, unfortunately. But I did have. Uh, I'm helping a guy, a friend of mine named John, up in Oklahoma trying to get the 21 Heritage set signed as much as I can as well. So it's like a lot of the teams I saw on the road trip last summer, he wasn't going to see it all. So he's like, hey, would you mind taking these? And I'll hook you up with any that I see that you don't. I'm like, all right, yeah, we'll do that. So I had an extra wit because of that for him. So I was able to get the Bobby Witt card signed at uh, the game here this past, uh, last night, actually. It was a Tuesday night that I went to the game. Very cool. So I got that signed for him. And uh, Aroldis Chapman, major shocker right there. He actually signed for us. So uh Got him for the 21 Heritage set. So, yeah, two big ones I knocked out right there. Pretty happy with yeah, that. Yeah, you've been knocking out of the park lately. I'm jealous. You're doing yeah. you, you're doing really good in, uh, in person. And I, I know you have a new video you just posted yesterday, I believe. Go to DFW Graffer on YouTube. Uh, how's that been going so far? It's good. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, not a whole lot of in-person stuff to talk about on there. But, you know, some of my TTMs that have come in, I've been able to cover those and, and all on there. Um, yeah, if you haven't checked that out, go ahead and, you know, check it out, subscribe, all that fun stuff. And I'll be talking about any TTMs I get this week. Uh, I've got my next in-person outing is actually going to be on my birthday in a couple of weeks. going to be, uh, going to Frisco and, uh, Arkansas has come to town for that one. So we'll be seeing the, uh, Mariners double A prospects and the Rangers double A prospects down there. Very cool. Is, um, is the, is, uh, Henry Ford, no, it's not Henry Ford. What's the, the catcher? Is it Henry, is it? From the Seattle, is he on that team? You know, what I'm talking about Ford. Oh yeah, the guy from the World Baseball Classic, right? Yeah, is he? Yeah, he is. Yeah, he's not on that team. I think he's still down, and he may be high A, but I think he'll be moving up probably next year, maybe even okay late this year. He's a good. He's a good prospect. He's yeah. a good one to get. Well, thank you, Drew. Guys, we have a really fun show. We have uh, Rick Dempsey, who again was the 1983 World Series MVP with Baltimore Orioles, and boy, can he tell a story, Drew. He uh, shared all stories about his career. He, if if you remember, uh, Rick was famous for uh, a rain delay uh, show. Let's say rain delay show, right? He yeah. he he did a whole thing, uh, uh, dressed like Babe Ruth, and did the call shot. And it was at Fen Fenway Park in 1977. And I was actually there. I was in the. I was at the game at the game watching it. And it was so funny as a a 12 year old i thought it was the funniest thing and we talk about how that came about we also rick also played a 
practical joke on his teammates in spring training, and he tells a really funny story. Mike Bodica, Len Sakata, and, and a couple other guys, and he tells a really funny story at the end of our interview. So stick around for that. Uh, but first, we got to talk a little hobby happenings, right, Drew? What's coming up? Batting, Batting lead, lead off. off. It is hobby happening. Let's get the show started. Leading off, we look at hobby happenings. Smart collectors turn to Sports Collectors Daily to stay up to date. From new releases to incredible collections hitting the auction block, news from inside the business of sports collectibles, and much more, Sports Collectors Daily has it, all with no subscription cost. SC Daily also delivers a live look at the most watched sports card auctions on eBay for every sport. Sign up to get the headlines in your email for free or just visit the website whenever you like. With 16,000 stories in the archive going back 16 years, there is always plenty to read at sportscollectorsdaily.com. Well, there's a lot of stuff going on. I just saw, this is really uh, kind of interesting. Uh, if you got any old sneakers lying around, <laughs> Michael Druin's 1998 NBA Finals shoes got auctioned off at Sotheby's and went for, ready this, $2.2 million. Wow. $2.2 million for a pair of shoes. Unbelievable. The It just, it just goes to show you that um, memorabilia, is still king, and if you can get something from any of these, you know the 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 Mount Rushmore guys, it's worth a lot of money, and that's that's something. Can you believe two point two million for a pair of shoes, Drew? That's amazing, but I mean, considering the game, the the games they're from, there, it's like, all right, that makes a certain degree of sense right there, and it kind of makes me wonder if his NBA Finals shoes sell for two point two million dollars, then. For that gym class basketball game where I had a quintuple double, would somebody pay like five <laughs> bucks for those shoes? Maybe, you know, it's worth a thought. Remember that floor hockey game that I scored two <laughs> goals and we won the championship? What do you think that's worth? Exactly. There you go. <laughs> well, you know, we were we've been talking uh, about uh, Panini and Fanatics, and there's some news out of Dallas. Yeah, Fanatics apparently has their new office in Dallas. Should be opening very soon. If it hasn't opened already, I know uh, Jen Rovell has been on Twitter talking about a lot of stuff related to all of that. I think there's even a like a virtual walkthrough of it or something like that, I was told. So I haven't got the chance to check that out yet. But yeah, Fanatics, I mean, they've been making the big splash there lately and uh, opening a new office to go along with it. So it'll be interesting to see how that all goes for them. Yeah, and Rich Miller from Sports Collectors Daily has been done, doing a great job following this whole Fanatics Panini thing. And he has a, he has a, a great article on it in today. So if you really... He, he has his uh, finger on the pulse of what's going on, I think. Don't you think, Drew? Absolutely. He always does. Very cool. Hey, Saturday, this is for you and I. They, they made this for you and I, I think. Saturday is National Hockey Card Day in yes. the U.S. and Canada, which is very cool. There's a, there's a Upper Deck has put out a 31-set uh, Rookie Moments card set, and you get those for like 10 bucks at your local... Uh, uh, hobby store local card store i think that's a pretty good deal like you know it's it's you know these bo uh, box sets they they run hot and cold but i think 31 rookie cards for 10 bucks is pretty cool absolutely that definitely sounds great so i don't know if any of my local shops down here will have any of it since hockey is not exactly a huge thing here but it's definitely worth checking out i might have to see what's uh, going on this saturday out there yeah i'll, I'll i think i'm going to go check it out on saturday as well if i do find one i'll pick one up for you but okay, great. It, it, I mean, I think that'd be a good uh, TTM set, don't you? It could very well be. Yeah, I mean, especially now is the time to jump on a lot of those rookies. I mean, I remember back when I was, because I've been working on those Upper Deck Rookie Class box sets ever since they first came out, and a lot of the rookies in them, 
I got right when they uh, right when that set first came out. Like Jonathan Taves was still signing by mail then. Patrick Kane was still signing by mail then. Who knows how many of these current rookies will be the same way where they're signing now, but they might blow up and not do it in the future. Yeah, see, I, 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 if I do, if I do get one, I'll grab one for you. All right, pal. Okay, great. All right, hey, we got some weekly rating numbers to report from our friends at Gem Mint, uh, GemRate.com. We do indeed. Yeah, the grading recap from the previous week. This would be from April 3rd through April 9th. PSA up 16%. They had 313,000 cards go through for grading there, which is a staggering number when you look at it. I mean, that's a almost they a third of a like million. They must be like the Oompa Loompas. You know what I mean? They just got a, yeah. a room full of people just grading like crazy. I got a grade. I got a grade. I got a grade. Yep. That's a third of a million, almost a third of a million in the span of a week. That is insane. Uh, SGC, their number's down a little bit, 25,000 cards graded by them. Uh, CSG down 15% to a 20 uh, to 12,200. Beckett with a major drop, 44% decrease to 11,000 this week. So notice there, CSG, the uh, kind of the newer kids on the block there out of the big four companies there, surpassed Beckett this week, which is kind of a, an interesting thing to see right there. Yeah, I think Beckett is, that's a backlash from their, their new grading uh, thing that they released uh, at the mint i think uh, the hobby really hated that really hated that and i think that was, that's a kind of a backlash i think beckett's gonna have some some way to go to to make up that that really uh horrible horrible announcement don't you yeah i mean it's i'm it's good that they uh kind of went back and decided ah, we're gonna rethink this but there, yeah there's uh there may be a little bit of fallout coming out of that well, we got some new releases to let everyone. A lot of new releases coming out this week. We have the 2022 Topps Dynasty Baseball, which is coming out on the 14th. We we talked about this last on last week, Joe. Uh, it's one encased card, number ten or less. There's five boxes per per case. We finally got a, a, a price on this is nine hundred dollars, Drew. Nine hundred dollars for for one card. That better be wrapped in gold and in diamonds. <laughs> absolutely yeah i mean that was, uh, it was a little higher than we were talking about it that we were thinking it was going to be but it works out yeah, for them. we All thought right. in I the 700 dollar range right we thought of in the... yeah yeah but hey if you hit a big name on that that's that 900 might just be worth it no so, i know you know it's a lottery ticket we understand yeah absolutely is uh now available the uh, panini prism nba set for the 20 2022-23 season is out you get two autographs 22 prisms among the 12 cards in 12 packs there $450 the price tag on that. The the price of Prism is just unbelievable. And the, you, you know, I guess you, you got to buy blasters, right? And hope pretty much. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, with go with the blasters. I mean, you're not going to get the uh, guaranteed autos or anything like that, but you'll at least get some of the base stuff. You'll get some of the, uh, you'll get a few guaranteed prisms in there, but yeah, that's, that's pretty high for a hobby box. We got a uh, Panini 2022 playbook NFL. Uh, four cards. You get four autos or memorabilia. A nice looking set. These are these are nice looking cards. They're going for about two hundred ninety dollars for Hobby Box. That's Panini two thousand twenty two playbook NFL is now out. I always love the playbook product. That is one of my favorite ones that Panini has ever come out with in any sport that they've made it. I agree. They're they're really nice looking cards. Yeah. Uh, twenty the two thousand twenty two twenty three NBA contenders uh, from Panini is uh, coming out as well. You'll get eight packs with four cards, two autographs guaranteed, along with 10 inserts, parallels, or variations. $450 price tag on that one as well. So expensive to clock nowadays, isn't it? <laughs> it is, yeah. For any of the hobby stuff, if you're, you know, if you're just looking for base stuff and you're into set building, you can do it through blasters. But yeah, those hobby boxes, if you're looking for the big hits, 
you're going to pay for that chance. Yep. Hey, uh, I want to congratulate our friend uh, Tim Virgilio at Signatures for Soldiers. He he let um he put out his April total so far for Signatures for Soldiers. He has raised two hundred twenty-two thousand nine hundred twenty-three dollars to help veterans, which is unbelievable. Congratulations, Tim. Go to Signatures for Soldiers to see what he has for sale. He has so much stuff that he he's selling all the time. Follow him on Twitter. He has you know, great Twitter. He always po posts stuff for sale on Twitter. And all the money goes to help for Signatures for Soldiers. He has raised $222,923 to date, which is fabulous. Congratulations, Tim. He's been expressing some frustrations a little bit on Twitter there, too. So, any, so guys, go and help him out. You know, check and see what he's got for sale. It's all going to a great cause. So, you know, if... If you got a spare 10 bucks, go and see what he's got for, you know, five, 10 bucks and go see what you can pick up off of him. Cause it, like I said, we've been saying this the whole time. It's a great organization. They do some great work. It's a great cause. Help them out. Please. Got uh, some news here. We're going to have a less wolf appraising some items here. So uh going to be doing that on an upcoming show here. Going to do like an all appraisals show. So if you have anything you want less to check out and uh, give his ideas on when it comes to authentication prices, anything like that, Send it to us at ttmcast at yahoo.com. Get some good photos of it, some good descriptions, anything you can like that. We'll have something to talk about here on the show, and we have Les Wolf doing appraisals. Yeah, we're going to do uh, probably in a couple weeks. So we're asking yeah. for people to just email pictures of your stuff. I've got, I just got a couple yesterday, actually. So um, we're going to do just a kind of an appraisal with Les when we do our, our segment uh, more from Les. And he really loves... Uh, helping out collectors and, and letting know, giving you a kind of an overview of what the worth of stuff doesn't cost you anything. Please send send us your items, um, and Les will will do an appraisal for you for nothing. Not we're not doing a whole collection here, guys. We're just doing like one <laughs> one or two things, please. So uh, please send your stuff in, and you know if we use your stuff, we'll we'll get you something, right? We have, we'll open up the the, the prize closet and, and get you some, get something for uh, sending something in. So please send us something to our email at ttmcast at yahoo.com thank you hey this is a one, one last one his, uh for uh donation wise uh i'm working with the friend the, the guys at the bob feller active valor award and this is a great award this is another uh thing for the veterans this is money goes for uh, scholarships to veterans and their families as well as other veteran um related causes and they, they're gonna uh put out a new set of cards of 39 baseball cards of people that served in the the war and uh, as uh served in the service as well as played in the major league baseball it's a really cool set uh, there's gonna be no no cost for the set but they want to know how many sets they should print out so I'm going to ask you to go to activevalorawar.org. That's activevalorawar.org. Just click on the pre-order button and put in your name, your email address, and your phone number. Uh, if you like, if you're interested in getting a set, the, the the sets are going to be free, but they're going to ask you to do give a donation to the foundation. So please just give an idea, give us an idea of how many sets they should print. We got a couple more weeks for this before they they're going to place the order. So um, if you're interested, it's a great looking set. It's really a fun set. I know Drew went in and, and put in his pre-order. I went and put my pre-order, and I know a bunch of listeners have done that. So please go to activevalorawar.org. Pre-order the baseball cards that doesn't cost you anything, and uh, it's a really nice looking set. So, uh, ready? I'm going to get off my soapbox. No, no more, no more asking for for help and donations. We really appreciate that, right? Yep, absolutely. 
All right, guys, that kind of wraps up our hobby, ha hobby happenings. Make sure you tune in on Saturday. Every Saturday, we do a, a complete rundown in Baker's Dozen of what's been going on in the hobby. A busy week. I'm sure there's a lot more stuff we'll have to report on Saturday. Um, but first, right now, we have our interview, our interview with Rick Dempsey. Rick Dempsey, of course, was the 1983 MVP of the World Series with the Baltimore Orioles. True, he played 24 years in the in major leagues, which is unbelievable. That he played in four decades, four different decades, which is I think he's one of nine play people that have played in four different decades. And uh, Rick is a storyteller, guys. He tells all sorts of stories. So please enjoy my interview with Rick Dempsey. This week's interview is brought to you by Certified Sports Guarantee, CSGCards.com for superior sports card certification and grading. Get your graded cards in the hobby's best holder. CSG's holders are crystal clear, secure, and make every card in your collection stand out. And the best part is the price. Get your sports cards graded for as low as $12 a card with CSG. Go to csgcards.com to start your submission today and get $10 off the first year of your membership with code TTMCAST. Go to csgcards.com. All right, guys, we have a very special guest on the line with us today. He played 24 seasons in Major League Baseball with the Twins, Yankees, Indians, Dodgers, Orioles, primarily the Orioles, and the Brewers. He was the 1983 World Series MVP. I'm talking, of course, about Mr. Rick Dempsey. Welcome to the program, Rick. Well, thank you very much. Uh, I'm looking forward to this. Rick, you know, I, I, I want to talk a little about your career, but since we, we, were, we were just talking about it, let, why don't we jump right into um, signing cards and signing autographs through the mail and, and, and how much dedication and time you put into it? Well, I, I've always been an autographer. You know, after games uh, at Memorial Stadium when I got called up with the Orioles and even with the Yankees in Minnesota before that, um, I could never turn anybody down. You know, the little guys would come up. They'd want me to sign something, a baseball or a card or something. I didn't have any cards back with Minnesota uh, as I came up late in my first year in 1969. Uh, but as a Yankee, I started to accumulate quite a bit of uh, baseball cards. All the different companies were getting involved uh, back in those days. And, yep. you know, I mean, that's what you dream about when you're a little guy, that someday you're going to see your own baseball card, your own picture on a baseball card. And a piece of bubble gum on on the side of it at the same time, but uh, I've I've always made it a habit of signing cards until everybody was gone home, you know. And I figured that, you know, you know, I'd make somebody happy if I didn't go up and get a base hit or something like that to help win a ball game or even get a chance to play a game, you know. At, at least I made somebody happy by signing a, a baseball card in my. Back in my young days, it was huge for me, so I knew what it felt like to all the fans out there. Were you a collector as a kid? Um, I would say I was more in it for the bubble gum. <laughs> but, but yeah, I, that I god awful bubble gum, right? <laughs> it, no, it wasn't so bad. Bazooka was pretty good. Bazooka's good, but not days. the baseball card bubble gum. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, but. After a while, I started collecting too, you know, and not that I was knew what I was doing or anything, but uh, or even how to uh, to contact people. I I never sent baseball cards through the mail or even found out how you could possibly do that. 
I didn't go to very many major league games back in those days, although I lived in the L.A. area in the San Fernando Valley. Uh, I think I got to one or two base, baseball games in my entire amateur career, but never had an opportunity to go down to the field to get someone to sign it. We had Wally Moon come to our little league and speak sure. to us and everything. And he signed pictures for us. And I got an eight by 10 of Wally Moon. And that was really the only thing that I ever got signed. But I never forgot how important it really was to the little fans. And I just never wanted to seem like I was that arrogant. I saw a lot of players turn them down in those days. That seemed to be kind of a fad uh, in my early days in the major leagues. They, they would walk away uh, from a lot of fans. But I never did that. So I got in the habit of signing those things. And sometimes I was at that ballpark two hours after we showered and shaved to make sure everybody got their autograph before we all went home. Well, nowadays you're, you're signing a lot of cards through the mail. Now that you, you, you gracefully, gracefully signed a couple of cards to me. I really appreciate it. Uh, how many requests do you think you get a month? Um, a couple hundred. That's a lot. I get four or five, um, uh, yeah, letters a day just about my wife keeps sure. talking she puts them in a basket on this table <laughs> in my family room and I've got everything I need there um, I read the stories on the pages of the people some of them military I, I always favor the military people because they don't get the opportunity to get to very many ball games um, uh, being as they are in service to our country but so I always take care of that and uh, they might write me a little note about how they're having this card signed for uh, their father or their brother or somebody who's having a birthday. So I'll throw an extra card in there with a happy birthday notice to that person. You know, I do the little extra things I think that that, that people would really like because uh, I'm not working right now. And so I've got the time to do it. You retired in 1992, so you haven't you haven't played in a while. Are you surprised that people still want your autograph? Um, no, I'm not surprised because now collecting has become a big business, and uh, and I don't like the uh, the collectors, the young guys that sit out there and they got 15, 20 of your cards and yep. they want you to sign them all because I know what they're doing with them. They're trading them, they're selling them, they're doing whatever they are. The little guy that comes up that's got one or two cards or something, and he's he and his brother are being, a, I don't mind doing those, but some of those collectors can be awfully annoying because they hang out at your hotels all the time, you know, and they got books full, and they go to a page, and there are two pages, there are 25 baseball cards, and they <laughs> want you to sign every one of them, you know? Um, yep. they, they can be a little annoying at times, but it's the regular fans that I focus on more than the collectors themselves. Do you have a favorite card for, from your playing days? Is there, is there a card that you really enjoy? There's an MVP card with the, in an Orioles uniform. And at the bottom left-hand corner, it just says MVP. The MVP, as a matter of fact. Uh, that's my favorite card. I have a couple others, you know, because I played on other teams. And uh, the Los Angeles Dodgers, who won the World Series in 1988. I really enjoyed being with the Dodgers also. Of course, my favorite team was always going to be the Orioles but I had a tremendous love for almost every team I played for I hated to leave Minnesota I really hated to leave uh the New York Yankees sure uh, I was there for four years and especially right when we got into contention we won the American League Championship in 19 
76, but I had gotten traded away towards the end of the season. I really wanted that Yankee ring more than anything else, you know, at that time. Did you get so, a ring from, from that series? From no, that I did not. And I, and I keep thinking one of these days, and I haven't been to Yankee Stadium or New York since I retired because I, I went to work every day as a coach for the Orioles. And um, then um, I, I got into television and I never even, I haven't even been to the new Yankee Stadium yet. So okay. I'm looking forward to doing that and talking to the Yankees about, hey, I deserve that ring. You the do. Championship <laughs> ring with the Yankees in 1976. So maybe they, maybe they'll uh, even. I, I don't even mind paying for it to tell you the truth, but I want to have a Yankee ring. Yeah, we'll have to get a grassroots uh, protest going out there for you because you Let's really do it. Please do it. <laughs> you <laughs> really do deserve it. Was it difficult for you to switch leagues because you were uh, American League for so long, and then going to the Dodgers yeah. and switching leagues? And as a catcher, just learning the pitcher, you know, another well, pitcher. Well, I'll tell you what. You know, uh, you get towards the end of your career, and there's not too many people interested. Uh, your phone's not ringing enough, you know, to go play. I was not. I was uh, 42 years old uh, when I finally retired. Uh, or at least thought I was going to retire, but I still wanted to play. Uh, but, um, uh, you know, I, I went to the Dodgers. Actually, I was 40 years old when I went to the Dodgers. And I said, uh, listen, I've never, Fred Claire, I had seen Tommy Lasorda at a banquet. And I, and I said, Tommy, any need in your organization for a backup catcher? I said, I got a couple good years left in me and I can help you win a championship. He goes, Oh yeah, yeah, great. It's I'll talk to Fred Claire, but I don't think he ever really did. <laughs> it kind of sounds like Tommy. I can kind of it? understand it because everybody wanted to be a Dodger in those days. So yep. uh, one day after I waited about a, a week and a half, two weeks um, for Tommy to call, uh, he never did. So I says, I'm going down to Dodger Stadium and I'm going to talk to Fred Claire myself. So I walked into his office at two o'clock in the afternoon. And I asked his secretary if I could speak with him. Well, he's in a meeting right now. And I saw his office and everything. I didn't see anybody in there, but I just sat there uh, two or three times. I went up, uh, is he still in a meeting? She goes, yes, obviously he's, you know, he still is. So I knew I was getting the bums rush. Sure. <laughs> nobody was going in his office door and nobody was coming out of it either. So at seven o'clock at night, I had a decision that secretary had gone home and I said, well, I, I just can't leave. I, I don't have it in me to, to, to quit and give up on this. So I stayed there and finally about 7.05, the door cracked open and Fred Claire was peeking out. And I said, Fred, if you just give me 30 minutes of your time or, or, or less, I said, if, if it isn't going to work out, that's all. That's okay. I will go home and I will retire and start my managing career in the minor leagues. He says, okay, come on in. So I got to talk and I said, this is what I'll do for you. I know that your pitching staff didn't do too well last year. Um, you guys uh, weren't your usual tops of the league in that department. I said, I will help you win another world series. I'll hit a home run every 24 at bats. I'll drive in a run every five at bats. I said, I'll help you turn your pitching staff around. We'll end up winning our division. Then we'll win the playoffs in the National League. Then we'll play in the World Series. And I'll catch the last pitch and I'll give you the ball. And sure as heck, everything worked out. That's outstanding. 160 um, at-bats. Um, I hit seven home runs. 
exactly 30 RBIs, just maybe an RBI short of my prediction. Um, we ended up winning the division with the, they called us the worst World Series team in history. I was going to ask you, what, is, that a, is, is that the best team you played on, the 88 team, or was the 83 team with Baltimore? Or did the you play 83 on the team, was, team was a lot better. We had one pitching a pitcher on the staff that was a standout. That was Ora Horsheiser and the year that he had 59 consecutive stole, uh, um, uh, yep. scoreless innings. Um, we had good players, Kirk Gibson and everything, but overall as a team, we were a platoon style team. Sure. We only had like three or four regular players, uh, Mike Marshall, um, the second baseman, Steve Sachs, uh, the third baseman, Jeff Hamilton, um, uh, Kurt Gibson. We had four guys that played every day. The rest of us platoon. Yeah. And so Mike Sosha and I, uh, Mike, a great defensive catcher, um, great baseball mind. And we split the catching. I played against lefties. He played against righties and, and, and so forth. But, what a season that was because we had an element with that ball club where we all played together perfectly. Nobody was a standout outside of Oral Hershiser. Young guys like Tim Belcher and Tim Leary came on board. And sure. Mike and I just kind of took them under our wing and showed them how to pitch at the major league level. And they kept getting better and better as the season went on. Um, Steve Sachs was a great leadoff hitter. Um, and, you know, we pieced it together against the strongest World Series team on paper in history, the Oakland A's. The Oakland A's. That was, that, was, that, was, that was a great Oakland team. Did so you we see? Had to, did you, we had did to you use our, our heads and pay attention uh, to the adjustments that uh, the great hitters on that ball club made. I can remember seeing Conseco and um, – McGuire coming up with this big wide open stance where they pull the front foot back, sort of like Manny Machado does nowadays. Yep. But they'd never really closed their left side. So they left the outside half of the plate open for me. And we stayed on the outside corner, mixed our pitches. And then all of a sudden, the next time they came up, they were pigeon toed. You know what that means? Oh, yeah. Where the left foot points in, the right foot points in. Yeah, they were off, so all off balance, right? And now they get, and now they gave up the uh, the inside half of the plate, and that's when we pitched them in. So um, they made it a lot easier for me and Mike to call pitches uh, than I thought it was going to be. And um, so you know they ended up winning one game on a bad pitch, um, and, uh, and that uh, McGuire hit out of the ballpark, uh, but uh, we made up for that in the very next game. And uh, we ended up winning uh, uh, four of the first five ball games, and we I think we shocked the baseball world. But that was the most miraculous, best fundamental team I ever played with. The Orioles were a great fundamental ball club too, but we had a lot more talent uh, during that ten years that I spent with the Orioles. We had a lot more talent with Cal Ripken, Eddie Murray, Ken Singleton, uh, you name it. Um, uh, Cal Ripken, of course, came up and played shortstop, did a great job. We were a very strong defensive ball club, fundamentals, pitching, you name it, we had it. 
Mike yeah. Boddicker came up a month into the season and still won like 17 or 18 ball games. We had a good minor league uh, organization at that time. We drew from our minor leagues and, and they produced great players. And, but I still got to admit then, the, um, even though I didn't get to play uh, every day with the Dodgers, that organization, classiest organization uh, that was ever in baseball, um, uh, they they took care of their players. And we all played hard for them, and we we pulled out a championship under the guidance of Tommy Lasorda and Fred Clare, the general manager. Sure. I remember him cutting me on the last day of spring training. I said, "Man, <laughs> if, if it isn't going to work, and you need to cut me, I promise you." I thank you very much for the opportunity to try to play and, and I'll go and retire and move on with the rest of my career. He cut me on the last day. And then about an hour after he did that, he came back in and he goes, you made the ball club. Oh, what happened? And, did, some, did somebody get hurt? Well, they wanted to try to um, do something with Alex Trevino. He sure. was a backup catcher to Mike Sosha. And I guess they made a deal or, or they let him go or whatever at that point in his career. Um, and I, I made the ball club. And so um, I was never hurt uh, ever in, you know, or on the disabled list. Um, I had two times I, I broke a bone in 27 years. Um, my hand and Bo Jackson broke my thumb, but outside of that, never on the disabled list ever. So um, we had a, a pretty strong season and I stayed healthy, so did most of my teammates, and we ended up uh, pulling up one of the biggest uh, World Series shockers ever. Do you have, you know, you, you talk uh, glowingly about the '88 Dodger team. Is there a team that really that you played on that frustrated you that thought you thought was going to be better than it ended up being? Uh, the Minnesota Twins. When I first came up in '69 and '70, they were divisional winners. Yeah, but they didn't get they they didn't get out of the American League. I think it was the American League. Uh, well, it wasn't the they, mean, they must have been the West, right? They must have been the West back then. Uh, yeah, there was like I think three divisions, and they were in the middle or okay. whatever. <laughs> With being as they were in Minnesota, but what an amazing offensive team! But it taught me something about baseball. It isn't all about hitting. You got to have pitching and defense. And um, we had some pretty good pitchers, uh, Jim Cott. Um, um, and um, was Bly Levin on that team? Bly Levin hadn't been called up yet. Okay. But uh, he turned out to be one of the, one of the great uh, pitchers that Minnesota produced at that time. Um, but you, we, we had to have a better defensive team because we went up against the Oakland A's and the Oakland A's, uh, they had a lot of power, but they had a great defensive ball club at the same time too. And Catfish Hunter and guys like that. So, you know, uh, we just weren't strong enough. So in 69, we won the division, but we lost in the first round of the playoffs and the same thing happened in 1970. Yeah, I, I mean, also some great teams with Rod Carew and Tony Oliva and oh my God, they Killebrew the and... Yeah, Rod Carew was the most amazing hitter in, in all of baseball that, that I ever saw. You know, eight, eight batting championships and just an amazing hitter. You watched Harmon Killebrew and Bob Allison, a lot of guys like that. Tony Oliva, yeah, you can't forget him. He was just, he was an all-around great hitter, used the whole field, 
power to left and right. You know, it's a um, pretty darn good offensive ball club, but we needed to be better uh, defensive team if we were going to win uh, an American League title. So it didn't work out for us. Went to the Yankees and they struggled for the first uh, couple years I was there. And then in 1976, uh, American League champions lose four games in a row to the Cincinnati Reds. Right, and that, in the World not, Series. Yeah, that that was one of the best teams ever. Really, that '76 Reds team. Yeah, '76 Reds, and then I got traded to in a ten-player trade to the Baltimore Orioles, and I was really fortunate to join them at a time when they needed a good defensive catcher, um, and I went through an era with them where we won. Uh, actually, we we won the division three times. They only gave it to us twice because of the uh, a strike. The strike, yeah. They extended the strike, and uh, we ended up losing to the Yankees by one game. And then the second half, we ended up losing to Kansas City by one game. Wow. So those were the two divisions. But you put our record together, and we had the best record in the American League and didn't play in the playoffs. Did you yeah. enjoy playing at Memorial Stadium? Um, Memorial Stadium, what made Memorial Stadium great were the fans. Yeah. The stadium itself was old, run down, very antiquated. You know, the, the hallways were narrow. You had a tough time getting back to your locker. But you know what? We were playing in the big leagues, and that's all that really mattered. And we had by far the best fans of any team in all of baseball at that time. Did you uh what did you have a favorite uh stadium the way you hit really well or saw the saw the ball really well? Well, I hit I hit six home runs in Fenway, so I thought that was a pretty over, good over ball the green part. monster. Did you go over, over the, green, the monster? green monster? I hit one to center field one day, and but that was it. But um I wasn't a home run hitter. When when I came up out of my I actually Signed out of high school at 145 pounds. They told my mom, don't change the furniture around in his room because he's going to be back within the first six weeks. <laughs> but he's just not big enough. I played uh, in the major leagues two years later um, at 160 pounds, but I had hit, um, I asked to be demoted out of a ball. My first couple of years, I wasn't getting a chance to play. So I went in and I said, can you send me someplace? I don't care where you send me, send me to a league, you know, where I can play every day. So they send me to the NYP league and I end up being MVP of that league, hit, hit a little bit over 300. Didn't even know 300 was a good batting average. <laughs> um, That's funny. And then uh, during that winter, uh, a guy got his eye put out, a kid by the name of Frank Sands got his eye put out. He was catching up in the bullpen, oh, wasn't wow. wearing a mask and, Tommy Hall threw a sailing fastball, hit him in the eye, crushed his orb. They called me up at the beginning of instruction league and I hit 600. Wow. Then I went back to uh, Minnesota to a high A ball league in Wisconsin Rapids. I hit 365. Um, at that point, they put me on the 40 man roster and called me up to the big leagues where I hit 500 part-time play. And, um, and then, so much uh, for being an all-defensive no-hit guy, right? Yeah, yeah, no kidding. Because <laughs> that uh, was your moniker as a player. I, I remember it vividly, like the best defensive catcher but couldn't hit a lick. <laughs> well, that's, that's what they said. Uh, when I became an Oriole was when the batting average just dropped off because even as a Yankee, I hit 300 all season long until 
my last year with them, Thurman Munson hurt his thumb and I played the last uh, five or six games. I think I went over those games and I went under 300 for the first time in my career. So um, I got traded to Baltimore and Earl took me out on the field. I didn't play in the first, uh, I, I joined him on the road and I didn't play for the first seven or eight ball games. And he took me out on the field in, in Baltimore. Kansas City was running everybody to death, so they knew I could stop the running game. Sure. But he wanted me, he took me up to home plate and he says, you see this white line right next to the corner home plate? I said, yeah, I, said, I wanted to put your feet on those. And you see that foul pole down the left field line? I go, yeah. He says, I want you to hit the ball around that foul pole down there. Okay. If you do that, you'll play every day. That's all I needed to hear. Yep, sign so me up, right? So that top hand started rolling over on everything because I kept trying to pull everything. I was so good at the hit and run. Billy Martin wanted to keep me on the team in the playoffs in 1969 because it didn't matter where you threw it. I could hit it down the right field line behind the runner on a hit and run. So, <laughs> so anyway, I had great um, bat control in those times and you couldn't get me out it didn't matter what pitch you threw up there I, I I could hit it on the very first pitch it didn't matter but after I became a pull hitter the batting average dropped about 80 points and I just ne never again was as good a hitter as I was early on in my career so yeah but you um, found a home right you found I you found, found a home, home because I had to make myself a better defensive player and I did that with Baltimore and then you know what happened in the 83 World Series. Uh, I was there. Hell, <laughs> were I, you? I went to two games in Philadelphia in that for that series. My dad wow. took me down. <laughs> I know I never had a single in that series. Everything was all extra base hits. That, uh, that veteran stadium was a horrible place to watch a oh game. Oh, my God. And the fans were so hard on their players. It was, it was incredible. It was. It, it was it, that they it was, were so mean to them, but they were disappointed because we came in there and slapped them around in a five game series also. So yeah, that was that, that team, the 83 uh, Orioles team was a fab, fabulous, fabulous team. Um, did you have a, a favorite city to, to visit on the road? Is, is there a, a city you like well, to visit? I enjoyed Boston and I enjoyed New York um, a lot. Um, those old, um, rivalries the uh, the Orioles and the Red Sox and the Orioles and the Yankees made baseball so much fun and uh, even when I was a Yankee uh, the rivalry between the Boston Red Sox and the New York Yankees was legendary and so I mean uh, I I really fell in love with those rivalries that we had and really looked forward to them a lot uh, those old stadiums were, were fun to go to. The fans were incredible um, with all of them. So I, I enjoyed the West Coast on occasion, playing in the good weather in Anaheim. Uh, yeah. But my, I, I still loved Yankee Stadium, and that was the original Yankee Stadium sure. in Fenway Park more than any of the other ones. Well, you had, you, speaking of having fun, and we're, talk, we're going to talk about 1977 during the rain delay at Fenway, which I was oh, sitting, God. well, I was in the stands for that. <laughs> and Unbelievable. You came, How old are you? I am 57. God, you were just a baby. Yeah. So <laughs> I, was, I was born in 65, so I was 12, 12 years old, and I, I, I remember it like it was yesterday where it was uh, 
rain delay at Fenway, and you came out dressed as, as Babe Ruth and, and yeah. ran around the the the, the tarp. Yeah. And how did that come about? And, the home run made the yeah. call for the home run it, and ran around the. It, it's you know, so, the guy that uh, that spurred me on to do that was Sparky Lyle. Sure. When I was a Yankee, we'd sit out. I enjoyed talking with Sparky. He was always, what an incredible relief pitcher he was. Oh, the hardest breaking slider you ever caught in your life. I and mean, he could tear your hand off. The, wor the worst trade the Red Sox ever made, just getting Danny Cater from Sparky Lyle. It still bothers me. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Sparky would always, um, back in those days, they would find you if you threw baseballs in the grandstand. But Sparky would throw him up there anyway. He didn't care. And he said, you know, one of these days I want to I want to run around the tarp. I want to do a, a pantomime of Babe Ruth calling a home run. And I want to run around the tarp and, uh, you know, hit a, an imaginary home run and do the rain delay. So he never did it. On the last day when I was with Baltimore, uh, uh, Boston and the Orioles were tied for second place, the Yankees had won. And so um, I started throwing balls in the grandstands too and people were singing and they were having a great time. Uh, they covered the field, the tarp. We didn't know we were, we were gonna play or not, but there was one baseball left on the tarp out on the field and I decided to go out and get that baseball and throw it to the fans that were the loudest. Uh, you probably remember that. Yep. And so I did. And as I was out on the tarp, I started skating around in my bare feet um, to raindrops are falling on your head. And I got the entire stadium to start singing and they started singing. And then as soon as it was over with, I threw the ball behind home plate into the grandstands and I went into the dugout. Well, the fans didn't want to go home. They wanted to see a ball game and they, and they wanted to keep everything going. Everybody was in a great mood. And so they started beating on the stadium. And if you've ever been under the stadium in Fenway Park, it's deafening it's uh, loud, yeah. in the locker rooms. And they started beating that we want Dempsey. We want Dempsey. So uh, Richie Dower came in with a pillow and put it in. He says, do your pantomime of Babe Ruth. I said, okay. I'll do it. So <laughs> went up the home you didn't, you didn't need much coming. coaxing, right? I didn't need much coaxing then. Every, you know, I, I think we knew we weren't going to play that day. So I just had kind of enjoyed myself with the Fenway fans. They were always great fans. Um, th they made it tough on you. They would throw things at you in the bullpen and all sorts of stuff. But it didn't matter. That, that was baseball in those days. So I did the pantomime. I called the home run Babe Ruth and, uh, and hit the home run and ran around the bases and slid into home plate. And then uh, the fans loved it so much that you know, I did ended up doing it three times, you know, once in Milwaukee and once in back in Baltimore. And then I never did it again. <laughs> so. Yeah, guys, you can check it out there. It's available on YouTube. You just put in Rick Dempsey uh, rain delay and you can watch the videos there. It's yeah, I've I was, seen it enough times. <laughs> no, I know. I'm, I'm staying for our, for our listeners. Yeah. Do you okay. have do you have a lot of mementos from your playing day? Did you keep jerseys and hats, you know, first pitch, first hits, that kind of stuff? Um, yeah, I, I kept a lot of things, you know, when the great players came along, I'd get a, 
a baseball bat signed by those guys. And I've got boxes of bats around my house and, and pictures of being a New York Yankee, you know, and Thurman Munson, who was my favorite player of all time. And, and so, yeah, I, I kept uh, baseballs. Of course, the one, the one baseball I should have never gotten rid of was I, the, the one I promised to Fred Clare at the end of the season, I would catch the last pitch and I would give him the ball. I had it signed by everybody on the ball club. Oh, wow. Uh, two years ago, he invited me to speak at his, uh, his golf course um, in Glendale, Oakmont Country Club. He says, I got something to tell you. I go, well, what's that? He goes, I gave that baseball you gave me to the Hall of Fame. Oh, well, that's well, I said, good. Well, okay, that's, that's great. That's great. And he says, and he says, and I also want to tell you too, it was worth six and a half million dollars. I wow. go, what? <laughs> Are you kidding me? Only because you, you know, um, the rarity of a team like ours winning the World Series, the rarity of having a pitcher that had 59 consecutive scoreless innings, the rarity of having our best player get hurt and only have one at bat and he hit the biggest home run of the in, entire baseball millennium <laughs> but anyway uh there was so many unbelievable things that happened that it made the ball very valuable i'm i'm still questioning whether it was really worth six and a half million because i don't know how fred could give it away yeah uh, if he knew he could sell it for that much money well you heard the story um George Foster kept the Carlton Fifth home run in the, from the sixth game of the World yeah. Series, and he put it. Yeah, yeah and he, he put the ball in his glove, and he just kept it forever. And then they they just they, it just sold for a couple million dollars. Wow! 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 So they're, they they are they are valuable. And in, in, uh, did you keep any uh, jerseys from your playing day? Or I've got them all. Good. I've got I've got a jersey from every team I played with. Uh, actually, the jersey that was passed down to me in those days was a Rod Carew jersey. Oh, wow. One of the original jerseys, the wool ones. They were yep. very tough to wear in the summertime, but it has the tags and everything on it still too. So I have that Rod Carew jersey. And that's what they did in those days. They took the players' old jerseys and handed them down to the new guys that came to the ball club to save money back, back in those days. Yeah, it was a, a different a different time. How, what did you get for winning the World Series MVP in '83? Did you did you get some special on a, a, a trophy for that? Uh, yeah, I did. Uh, it was the Babe Ruth Award, um, and I still have that and a trophy from the 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 World Series itself, um, and a baseball signed by everybody. I don't know if you I don't know if you could see them up over my corner of my head here that you, you'll see there's a bunch of baseballs up on these shelves right oh there. yeah I'm, I'm green with envy <laughs> i've got tons of tons of baseballs you know willie mays signing guys that i met along the way you know that i never really played again i didn't play against willie but i did get some autographed baseballs by him so I, i've got a ton of stuff uh, around the, the stuff i've got Probably the most expensive uh, and the best that I have. I have a baseball bat signed by every member of the 1988 World Series team and all of the coaches. Wow. And it's in mint condition. I have it in a box here. I won't even let the sunlight get to it, but that's got to be worth. 
a, a, well, a pretty good pick. If the baseball's worth six and a half million, then the bat's got to be worth a couple of million in itself too. I'm sure. Hey, um, who was the most difficult pitcher to catch? For Mike you? Flanagan. How come? Because um, of slider and. Mike- Mike had a varying of release points. Sometimes he'd be over the top. He was a left-handed thrower. Sometimes he'd be over the top. Sometimes he'd go three quarters. But the way the ball came off his fingertips, so you see my index finger is a lot shorter. Mike's was like this. Okay. And when that ball came inside on a right-hand hitter, it would bite. It would dive in and sail. And that's the hardest pitch for any catcher to catch is is a fastball that sails. It, that doesn't mean that it's spinning more. It just means that it's moving more. Did you uh, did you prefer catching a guy that just threw straight heat or a, or a guy that like you know, flying? Some, it didn't matter to me. Okay. I learned to catch them all. Mike was just the toughest. He threw that what we call a very heavy sinker. And when when a ball comes in and it's not spinning as much, but the treads are in, in a situation where the wind resistance is forcing it to move right or left. Yeah. You know, in Mike's case, it would come inside and then move to the left towards the back towards the middle of the plate. And sometimes it would catch you. He took there's this knuckle is not as rounded as my knuckle here, because one time I caught it kind of funny and he tore a ligament off of this knuckle <laughs> Uh, that I had to try to play with for the rest of a year. He did it early on in the season, but that was some kind of painful, you know. So I finally had it had it shot up and had that uh, the tendon smoothed off and took the uh, took the bone fragment off the end of it, and it and I, then I was okay again. But man, oh man, Mike threw a heavy ball. Uh, he was the toughest guy for me to catch, but. And you mentioned you mentioned Hershiser's record. Did you catch any any of uh, his? Mike Sosha and I both split three of his six consecutive shutouts. Wow! Yeah. What well, when you were when you were playing? Do, do, were you a personal catcher for anyone like Tim McCarver was for? Uh, well, Steve Palmer Brown? wouldn't go on the mound unless I was catching. Palmer wouldn't. He knew he yeah. Jim Palmer wouldn't go on the mound. He says if Dempsey's not catching, I'm not pitching. So, that I'm must sure make would. you feel good. It, it did make me feel good. But there were a couple guys that that in, uh, that really uh, preferred to have me back there because I never missed a ball in the dirt ever. You know, you I had know to you bounce were, it you, over my head. You were, really, you were known for your um, for your your strong arm. Is there a uh, a guy that a base runner that would get on and you'd be like, oh no, this guy's a tough one to to. Well, to Ricky do. Henderson was always the toughest guy. Yeah. I threw him out a couple of times and probably. Uh, I, I don't know what the record is. It probably just as much or more than anybody else in baseball because he got tremendous jumps. And if you didn't hold him or you weren't a pitcher who was like one, one to home plate. And we had a lot of guys who were one, four, one, five, one, six. I just never even got a chance to throw the ball. Ricky could run and steal bases standing up uh, against the guys like that. But he was the tough. Willie Wilson was yeah, tough. Yeah, I was going to just, just ask you about him. Yeah, but I got him, you know, quite a few times. He got me a few times too. So, but everybody else was, uh, you know, I always said to myself, don't even let the biggest, slowest, fattest guy on the team ever <laughs> steal a base on you because 
you'll go to sleep and the next thing you know, they'll just get a walking lead and just keep going. No, but I paid attention to the runners. Do you, and do we you had think, great pickoff plays. So do you think you would have liked the new rules that have been put in place? The the no. clock and the size of the bases. No, and stuff? you know what? I don't mind them changing some of the rules, you know, but uh overall the rule changing, and I think the one especially where hitters have to get back in the box and assert it's just going to cause more trouble. It might be a good concept from the very beginning, but when there's a game on the line, like we saw at spring training this year, I saw a spring training game where a guy was, was called out strike three for not being back in the batter's box within the allotted amount of time. And the winning run was on second base. And, you know, that's going to happen again during the season. Yeah. I don't think uh, the umpires quite know how to handle that yet. No, I, I, I don't think they will. And I think they ought to just forget about, listen, people come to the ballpark to sit there in the sun and watch a baseball game. They don't care if it's, if it's three hours long or three and a half hours long or three hours and 45 minutes, they love being at the ballpark. And so yeah. trying to speed the game up too much and, we played fast ball games. I enjoyed a pitcher that got on the mound. I give him the ball. He'd get the signal. Boom. He would throw. I enjoyed that because your defenses stay alive. Right. You know, they don't go to sleep on you out there. And I enjoyed fast ball games. We threw a lot of games under three hours. We threw some games over three, you know, three and a half hours too, at the same time. But, you know, where else would you want to be? I mean, you know, <laughs> for the fans, you know, I at know. the ballpark watching but, the ball. If they want but, to go home, go ahead and go home. Listen to the game on the radio going home or whatever, you know. I know that yeah, was a Red, so a Red Sox phone. fan, Rick. The the Red Sox and Yankee games are, are some of those oh, games are God, so yeah. long. And it didn't matter because the people loved those the rivalry the between rivalry, those two yeah. teams. That was the biggest rivalry in baseball. It was every bit as big or bigger as the Giants and the Dodgers in the National League. Sure. That's what people want to see. They would stay there five or six hours. They wouldn't care, you know, because they know they're going to see something that's going to be special and stick with them for a long time when those, those kind of teams get together and play rivalry. You, you had so much fun playing the game, and it, it, it's pretty evident. Um, can you share a funny prank that you might have played on a teammate, or or or, or something something that you you know it brings a smile to your face, like oh, remember when yeah, we gave so yeah. so a hot foot? Or <laughs> I talk about it at all the fantasy camps. They always want me to tell the story about Mike Boddicker, um, Lenny Cicada, and Tippy Martinez. Three, I called them the three cheapest guys I ever played baseball <laughs> with. Well, we didn't make a lot of money back in those True. days either. Well, but Boddicker made it later, though. He he did okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, he did. But every time we'd go out, I'd always get stuck with the bill. So this one time, you know, all of a sudden, they had to go to the bathroom. They'd be right back. And then the bill came, and i get stuck with the bill again. But they made the mistake of leaving a room key on the table. So I took their room key. All three of them were living together in a two room condo. Now you figure that out. I don't yeah. know if somebody had to share <laughs> something in one of the rooms. A different then, time, right? A different time. Around that time, um, the, the, they, they had a, a problem with a guy out in Key Biscayne that would rob people at a gas station at nighttime or somewhere. We, try to get a, 
uh, be hitchhiking a ride uh, out to Kibis Kane, and he would end up robbing them. So they, they always warned us, be on the alert for, um, what, what, did, what did I call him, El Turco or something. You know? <laughs> so anyway, they, I ended up paying the bill and they were laughing on the way back. And so they dropped me off at my condo on the right-hand side where, where I stayed. And they were, they were in the next condo building you know, down. And when they drove underneath to park their car, I ran across the parking lot and I got in their condo and I hid in the hall closet that had the flat <laughs> so I could see down. So Tippy went in to call his wife when he came in and um, Lenny was in the back room and Boddicker was, uh, it was, it was in the bathroom and they play penny ante poker every night. So I'm watching them playing poker. They get together fine. Oh, actually, what, what I did when, when Lenny went back in his room, um, he was a little bit of a religious guy. He would say prayers at night before he went to bed, blah, blah, whatever. And uh, so when he, when he left to go into his room, I snuck out and went through the kitchen and turned off all the electricity in the condo. Now I went back and hid back in the closet and Tippy was on the phone. He goes, hey, Carol, uh, his wife, Carol, um, listen, the lights went out. He says, don't hang up. He says, you know how I don't like to be in the dark. <laughs> chuckling and laughing. And, and Boddicker was yelling, hey, turn the lights on. You know, he was sitting on the toilet. He, was, he couldn't find the toilet paper or whatever. And so finally they got the, the lights back on. And then they sat down to play penny ante poker. So I took a brush that I had off the, the bathroom counter and I snuck back in the cotton. I threw it right down the hallway and it hit the wall on the other side of the table. And they're, oh my God, what was that? Who is that? Somebody's in the condo with us. It's, 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 it's El Turco, man. Uh, I don't want to be identified. I, uh, I only want to come in there. I want to take the money on the table. I don't want to have no problem with any of you guys. Uh, please, uh, no problem. But you go into the back room because I don't want to be identified, okay? And so, Tippy, I see Tippy going into the, the, the kitchen and he opens up the door and he puts out, pulls out six butter knives and a can opener. <laughs> <laughs> I'm laughing. And so Tippy says, oh, no, you're not going to get any of our money. I says, we've got weapons over there. I say, hey, gringo, what you got? What you got? You got all the butter knives you're going to do? And you, you, who are you going to stab with the, the can opener? I said, he says, well, what do you have? He says, I got a gun. He goes, okay, you win. <laughs> I held him there probably maybe the better part of a half an hour to 40 minutes. And finally, I got them all to go into the back room and I took all their money and I threw it in a bag and I ran out the sliding glass door. All the and I lived with Cal at that time across the parking lot. And we sat up on the balcony as all of the police cars in Kibis came, came firing out to the grape tree where we stayed. Oh, you must and there was about four, there was four car police cars and they pulled in and they, they all gave their stories on how much money they lost and everything. 
they thought they were going to get their money back from Grape Tree, you know, for being robbed in their apartment complex. I had all of their money stacked in front of their lockers when they got to the the clubhouse the next morning. And I I don't even think it added up to $26 and they claimed $2,500. (laughs) (laughs) They claimed that they they deserved to get $2,500. that this guy robbed them of all of their money. So that's whatever. a great, that's it was, a great it was a good story. Show, you know, because I held them for a long time. Lenny Takata, who was the religious guy, actually got down on the floor and he started low crawling to the front door because in those old folks' homes, in those condos in, in Florida, there's those emergency buttons in case somebody yeah, has yeah. a heart attack or something and they press a red button and then you know, everybody comes to their aid. Hey, gringo, I see you, a little pig. Hey, you little cochino, get back onto the base over there. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I promise. I know. <laughs> it was so funny. That's very funny. It had to be there. Do you that have was a... my best prank ever. Oh, I love it. I love it. Thank you for sharing that with us. Do you have a favorite moment uh, on the field? Something that, that uh, brings a smile to your face, you know, the either personal or, or something that you saw. Well, it had to be the 83 World Series, you know, yeah. when they came. As soon as it was over, caught uh, Cal Ripken caught kind of a humpback line drive to short, and we beat the Phillies in five games. And, uh, and then the media people came running out saying, you were voted uh, most valuable player. That had to be the best feeling ever because – as you know, I wasn't a big offensive contributor once I became an Oriole. And so to do something like that, I just, it just felt like a 2000 pound weight fell off my back that I had finally done something offensive to help the ball club win. Yeah. And when you, and you had so many great players on that team and, and, oh and you God, played against yeah. so many great Hall of Famers as well to, to win that award in that year uh, must've been really personally satisfying. It really was. I mean, I set two offensive records in that World Series. You probably don't know what they are. That one I do not know. <laughs> I had the most extra base hits in a five-game series. Okay. Five, four doubles and a home run. I never had a single. And I was the only person ever voted most valuable player of a World Series that got pinch hit for not only once, but twice. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> well, Earl Weaver, Earl Weaver was a genius, so you have to you have to – he was the best baseball mind in the game at the time, but one of the most miserable people to ever try to get along with. But he did, was a great, great manager. Did you have the same relationship with Billy Martin when you were in Minnesota? Yeah, I did. Uh, Billy only cared about you playing and giving 100% all the time. He almost kept me on that uh, for the 1969 team because he knew that he could send me up there to pinch hit that I'd hit a line drive someplace. And, um, uh, the guy, uh, Dean chance, this is way before your time. Young. No, no, I know Dean chance. He he threw a no no hitter. Oh yeah. So Dean chance didn't want to be put on the disabled list. He wanted to stay active. So they didn't contest uh, his will. So that was it. Did you ever catch a no hitter? You know something? No, I didn't. I caught about 15 one-hitters, Yep. but I never caught I, – I caught a no-hitter in winter ball, but I never caught a, a no-hitter at the major league level. That was amazing. I caught 16 Cy Young Award winners during the course of my career, but never a no-hitter. Yeah, it's just such a, a fluke thing, right? A no-hitter is just yep. kind of a, a fluke thing. 
got Storm Davis to two outs in the ninth uh, in the top of the ninth inning at Memorial Stadium, and um, I called a fastball, and whoever it was hit a home run to left center field. So everything <laughs> on on one pitch. And he's just he he's like, why did you call that pitch? <laughs> I know it. Did you get? Did you call most of the, the games you caught? Because it was yes. a different time, right? Yes, it was an era. Uh, you didn't do that with Jim Palmer. There were guys that that knew what they wanted to throw and they weren't afraid to shake me up. And that's okay with me. Because when you get that confidence out there that that guy knows exactly what to, you get a much better pitch. Is there is there a pitcher that, that you caught that um, didn't reach his potential or thought – Thought he should have had a better career than, than uh, actually well, end up having. The best pitcher coming out of the minor leagues that the Orioles produced, uh, Dennis Martinez, sure was had the best four pitches I ever saw. But he was crazy out on the mound. Once he got his little confidence at the major, very, very you know headstrong kind of guy. Um, he wanted to throw every pitch to every hitter. He could throw the fastball right by some guys, and that's you know those guys I knew who couldn't catch, who couldn't hit him. But he he didn't like the the two three pitch out. He just he wanted to show everybody how many great pitches he always had. Repertoire, sure. Yeah, so um, he went into Earl's office one day and said, "I I don't want Dempsey to catch me anymore. He's always yelling at me. Always, you know, blah 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 blah." So. Earl being the manager he was, and that was always a good move to try to set up catcher pitcher relationships. He put two other two other guys in there to catch Dennis's next two starts, and Dennis didn't win either game. So he called <laughs> us give both me in his again. office. And one thing you never wanted to be in Earl's office for any reason. He called me in and he called Dennis and he goes, Listen, Dennis, as I know you don't like uh, Dempsey catching you and everything, he said, but I went to the book. You've got 42 wins and 20 losses with Dempsey catching. Jesus Christ, don't you ever come back in my office again. He's going to catch you till I die. (laughs) That's funny. It was funny. But he never said anything to me in that meeting at all, other than he wanted me to know that he was going to catch me with Dennis every single time that he was back in there again. So (laughs) that was that. Well, Rick, I, we I could go on for hours because I love swapping stories with you. I love t- talking about yep. your career. I really appreciate, um, you know, from a TTM through in the mail, uh, autograph collecting, you signing cards, and and, and uh, you know h- helping the hobby out. And uh, I appreciate your time today. Um, you know, is there, is there one more one more story you want to share before I let you go? That it's like, geez, how come you didn't ask me about that? No, uh, you've asked me a lot of good questions. I think I've just about covered everything. All right, my friend. Thank you very much. I know what I might tell you this. I always wanted to manage at the major league level. Sure. And finally, um, the Orioles uh, gave me that opportunity. Uh, They, uh, Peter Angelos hired me three times, or at least said he was going to, uh, that I was going to manage the ball club the next season three times in a row. And I'm the only guy that's, ever been fired three times and never put the uniform on as a manager what happened just i didn't actually get fired but he reneged in inner trouble days after the first six says you're going to manage next year this fall club i said okay two days later he called me and said sorry uh, somebody doesn't want you in there i said well you're the owner what the heck 
So he did it again a couple of years later. Same thing. He calls me two days later and says, oh, Rick, I'm sorry that I, I have to renege again. And the third time, um, he never bothered to call me. <laughs> he just he ne never bothered to sign me. So but that one was kind of okay because that was the first year that the, the new manager that they have right now came in to manage a ball club that was uh, it was destined to lose 100 ball games from the very beginning. Yeah, well, I think your Orioles are going to turn it around this year. They have a lot of good young talent. They have a lot of good young players, and we'll see what happens with them. I, I love this Atley Rushman. Uh, and How about Gunner? Also, Do you like Gunner? I like Gunner. Yeah, I like Gunner, you know. But you, you can't read young guys like that yet, you know. I think Adley Rushman's a shoe-in because he's just, you know, he's off to a five-for-five five on his opening day yesterday. I know. How about Matt uh, so, Holiday's kid? Is he? Have you seen anything? From I him? haven't seen much of them now. The Orioles uh, just kind of stopped talking to me for for whatever reason. I can't figure it out. But uh, so I'm not on the inside with them, I guess anymore. So oh, that's whatever. too bad. Yeah, it is well, too bad. Well, again, I love that that city. I love that team, and uh, so we'll see. What and happens. that park is fabulous. Yeah, it's a, the best ballpark in all of baseball. Yeah, it, it, it's such a great place. And uh, Boog Powell's place there. And you had a restaurant there, right? Didn't you have a restaurant? I had a restaurant there. They turned it into one of those booking things for gambling and baseball. <laughs> but, you know, it doesn't surprise me. Yeah. Whatever. All right, my yeah. friend. Thank you so much. Rick Dempsey, he played from 1969 to 1992 with the Minnesota Twins, the Yankees, the Indians, the Orioles, the Dodgers, and the Brewers. And honestly, I do not remember you as a brewer. That's the when, when I saw that on the uh, on your resume. You know what? I won everywhere that I went. And when I went to Milwaukee, we had an opportunity. We were game out of first place for most of the last two months of the season. We lost 36 ball games that year with three, four, five, and six run leads. And they had Doug Henry in the minor leagues ready to come up. If they'd have brought him up for just a month, we would have won another championship with the Milwaukee Brewers that year. Why didn't they bring him up just because of contract and tenure and that stuff? No, I don't, you know, I don't know the real reason, but I just think, well, maybe they thought he was a little too green to be pitching in the big league. The guy had great stuff. Yeah, he was uh, good. All was we really needed good. was somebody to just half close out a third of those ball games, and we would have ended up winning that division. Oh, one more oh. question before I let you go, because I, I saw this on uh, on your uh, resume. Little League World Series, nineteen sixty three. You were what twelve years yep. old, and what, what I was, was the that last like guy voted to the All Star team? I didn't get to play too much on that ball club. But the famous part of that, uh, see, we, we won 12 championships um, uh, tournaments and then went back to Washington, Jefferson, Pennsylvania to play in a double elimination uh, tournament. You had to lose two games. Um, I didn't get to play too much, but the manager of our team, we didn't know it at the time, was a famous bank robbing duo. We really? had an accomplice who would go into every place that we played a champ, you know, uh, an all-star game. He had an accomplice that went in there and cased the bank out. They would rob the bank. He would put his baseball uniform on, drop him off at the ballpark, and they'd go manage the team. And the other guy, Rosenblum is his last name. He, um, he, would, he would take off in the car until we played another tournament. 
he got they got caught after 13 tournaments <laughs> that's crazy that there's a book in there and speaking of books i i, I don't want to be remiss you you have two books that are out there you're available on amazon uh one is, book is called caught stealing that was written in 2014 and then another one if these walls could talk which was written in 2017 they're both I hated writing books. I never wanted to do it. I don't know why. I, let it I don't know, but in. you got two books out there, so they're still out there. If someone wants to wants to wants to help out Rick and, and buy one of his books, check them uh, out. They're out, they're available on Amazon. You got it. All right. Yeah. All right. Thank you. I really appreciate your time. All right, I, Jeff. I, I hope you had as much fun it. as I did. Okay. No, we had a great time. We had a great Thanks. time. I really enjoyed it. Thanks, Rick. So keep those uh, baseball cards coming. You know, they all have your address, so I don't have to give it to you. <laughs> That's right. All right. Thank you very much, Rick. It all right. Take care, bud. Talk to you too. again sometime. Give me a okay. call. I will. Stay bye, in bye. touch. Bye-bye. Bye. Drew, wasn't that a great interview? It is. I mean, 24 years to catcher. How does he have any knees left at this point? I mean, I played four years of little league as a catcher and my knees are like, Hey, uh, we, we didn't really appreciate that. So I can't imagine 24 years in the majors. And that was before they had those knee saver pads on the back of the shin guards too. I know. How would you like to have been at bat with Rick Dempsey behind the plate? Because you know, he is right in your ear oh, yeah. <laughs> the whole time. This guy yep. is a great storyteller. I hope you enjoy all the stories. The, the I love the the practical joke he played. He played on the guy on his teammates, and uh, I loved uh, hearing about uh, his time in the major leagues. Rick has just gotten recently back into signing. He used to sign a lot now, and now he's signing a lot of stuff. Uh, TTM. So if you have a uh, a card that you need Rick to sign. Um, he's been doing a great job. I, I've seen a lot of uh, successes from him. Drew, I know you got you just got one, right? You got you got his rookie card back. No, it never came back to me. It was supposed to, and the uh, postal service lost it. Oh no! So <laughs> I'm still waiting on that one. I filed a uh, theft of mail complaint against the post office because that was what I was mentioning there earlier on. There, yeah. that was the same day that I was supposed to get that a uh, Bobby Witt card in too, and a couple others. So. Hopefully it shows up, though. I mean, Rick, oh, no, I will give him credit. Rick appears to have signed it and sent it back to me, and the post office screwed it up. So we'll see what happens. That's too bad. His 72 card, is a, he's with the Twins. It's a really great card. So uh, hopefully you can get – if you don't get that back, I'm sure you can get another one out to him. But it's uh, – you know, he signed uh, 86 and 87 tops cards for me, and he signed a couple – he signed uh, a 78 card for me way back. And uh, he, he's a great guy, and I really appreciate it. Rick Dempsey, we really enjoyed your uh, uh, talking with you. I hope you enjoyed the interview. Hey, this Saturday, I have these guys are awesome. Sean Anderson and Lou Olson, they're from a Hall of Very Good Podcast. And, uh, the, you know, it, it was nice. We talked uh, podcasting and interviewing and talked about uh, some of the guys that they've talked talked to. And they uh, these guys are really good. They're, they're, uh, I, I had them both on. Uh, unfortunately, Drew, you weren't with me to to protect me because I was like in the middle of, of talking to a couple of married guys, you know, the, these guys were good. They, you know, they've been around, they've been around, I think for seven years. So they, they know each other's uh, very well. And it was really fun to talk to these guys. So it's a really fun interview coming up on Saturday with Sean Anderson and Lou Olson from the hall of very good. Also Clemente, we got Clemente Lise is joining me and Clemente, Clemente and I are going to look at the playoffs, just the kind of playoff matchups, who he in for NHL, who he thinks is going to uh, shine, who some of the guys uh, we should look for. 
uh, from a collecting standpoint. We're also going to review the Upper Deck Series 2 that just came out. And um, I don't know, we'll, we'll, we'll talk a, a bunch of other stuff. I'm actually going to talk to Clemente uh, tomorrow. We got an interview with Clemente tomorrow, and that will play on Saturday. So we have a really fun show on Saturday. Next week, next Wednesday on TTMcast 101, we have Lee Dunbar. Lee is on Antique Roadshow. She's one of the appraisers on Antique Roadshow. And she's yeah, been uh, on over 200 episodes and 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 appraised uh, over 6,000 items, I believe. And boy, can she knows? You, you know, like when you talk to somebody and, and you know they they got no notes in front of them and they're just rattling everything off. Lee yeah. knows more about sports than just about anyone I know. She knows numbers. She knows statistics. She knows. She remembers years, all this other stuff. She's a great sports fan and a, and a great resource. And we talk about um, appraising. You know, Les does appraising, and, and we've had a couple other appraisers on. But Lee, you know, she she's worked for Sotheby's, and she worked. She has her own appraisal company, and she worked. She's been on Antique Roadshow. Uh, since it started so it, it's a fabulous interview I, I spoke to her for over an hour drew nice so that will be next wednesday on ttmcast 101 drew anything else before i let you go i think we've got everything covered pretty well in there just uh hoping to see what happens here what keeps on happening here in the uh, collectibles world there with everything's going on with fanatics and everything and yep guys we'll see what, tune, we'll, we'll see what happens <laughs> tune in on saturday we'll we'll have everything on uh, uh, all our our regular segments plus plus interviews with clemente and with sean anderson and lou olson also be a really fun show make sure you you join us for our saturday ttm cast next wednesday lee dunbar uh guys thank you very much thanks for listening many happy returns we'll see you on saturday be good